lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, Toronto, and welcome to another edition of Hi-Fi Radio right here on AM640. Uh, we got the analysts line up, and then we go to the female entrepreneur millennials. All right, so we got Brian Reynolds uh, on the line. He is a strategist and, more importantly, an asset allocator. He is with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, he's going to be followed by an ETF analyst, Brooke Thackray. Uh, Brooke is a seasonal stra- strategist. Uh, he runs an ETF uh, that has done very, very well. I've known Brooke for a long time. I look forward to talking about the seasonality of the markets because it does matter. And we are in the coming into the month of August, which can be a little bit scary. So Brooke is going to help us navigate through that period of time. Uh, millennials, they get a bad rap. I've said it. Jack and I are here to support millennials. And we're also here to support women in business. Um, uh, Iris Blue, the founders, are going to be joining us later to talk about their public relations firm. These young ladies are dynamites, and I think they're going to teach us just how to do it in this day and age. Without further ado, let's move our way back to Boston, sort of. Uh, we're in Massachusetts uh, with Brian Reynolds. Now, Brian, what, what city are you in, which is about an hour away from Boston? It's, it's called Dunstable, Massachusetts. It's a nice little nook in the middle of nowhere, almost up in New Hampshire. Oh, up in New Hampshire is very, very nice. Very good. So you work with our friend Tony Dwyer. Tony Dwyer has been on Hi-Fi Radio umpteen times. We love Tony. He's brilliant. Uh, and so you work directly with Tony, and I guess you feed him. Well, you help him look smart, don't you? Well, it's a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship. Yep, I have that with Jack Hartle here. Jack, Jack's in the studio with us, of course. We can't forget Jack. And, uh, yeah, we have a very mutual relationship, just as you do, of course, with Tony Bryan. So, anyways, carry on. I love it. So Tony knows the fundamentals of the macro environment. I know the credit market, which is where investors buy corporate bonds, and that provides fuel for companies to buy their stock back. As simple as that? It's as simple as that. In the U.S., our public pensions have grown to become the dominant global investor. They dwarf the Federal Reserve. They dwarf sovereign wealth funds. And they're putting record amounts of money to work in the corporate bond market. Interesting. You know, up here in Canada, one of the best asset managers is the Canada Pension Plan. Jack, do you recall how big the Canada Pension Plan is? I'm sorry, trick question on a Off Saturday top morning. Of my head, no, no, but uh, the way they manage money is, has been exceptional, and they are the uh, the envy of the world, I think, in terms of pension plans and uh, the, their process. And your largest pension plan in in America, it's Kelpers, isn't it? The California uh, Pension Plan. It is. There are about three hundred and sixty billion. Three hundred sixty billion pension plans are about eighteen trillion dollars. Hey, we got Brooke Thackeray. He's he's not he's not going to come on air just yet. He's chomping to get on the bit here. Uh, but Brooke, do me a favor. Tell us how big Canada Pension Plan is. You got your little phone there. Uh, just we, I want to compete with Calpers here. I think we're bigger. Uh, anyways, I'll tell you one thing. Here in Ontario, the LCBO, the largest purveyor of booze. For what that's worth. Anyways, Brian, let's get back to business here. Uh, so you're an asset allocator. Jack and I, uh, uh, we believe much of our success is derived by our asset call as opposed to our company call. In other words, a top-down approach where we look at the big picture and we want to get the asset mix right. You're, you're, so you, 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 you understand the relevance of that, Brian. So uh, sure here we are, bull market that has not corrected in umpteen days. Uh, I saw some great stats out of Bespoke. Uh, 
S&P 500, the S&P 500 longest 20% rallies. Uh, we're, we're running here in, in thousands of days since we've had a correction uh, greater than 20%, uh, including 10% and 5%. We go hundreds of days without, without a 5% correction in this marketplace. So uh, is equities the place to be? And uh, if so, should you also have money allocated towards fixed income, i.e. bonds? I think equities have a long way to run, another five years or so, maybe maybe only three, but probably five. And what people don't realize is that next summer, this will become the longest running bull market ever. And so I know it hasn't corrected in a long time, and we're going to get a pullback somewhere along the line. But people need to realize that once that pullback is done, as has been the case for the last 23 pullbacks since 2009, mm-hmm. stocks will likely quick, quickly recover and go back to the highs because our public pensions in the U.S. are putting record amounts of money to work in the corporate bond market, and that's what, that's what is providing fuel for companies to buy back their stock. I want you to explain that to us. Um, we we got we to we pay a little bill around here. Uh, you hang around, Brian. I want to talk more about uh, how uh, that money flowing to the corporate debt market is allowing companies to buy back stock. All right, just stay with us. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Wakey, wakey, Toronto. Brian Reynolds, in and around the Boston area, has joined us. He's an asset allocator. He's an analyst with Canaccord Genuity. He's helping us make the really big decisions right now in terms of how much money should you keep in cash, how much in bonds, and how much in stocks. And Brian, just going into our last uh, uh, commercial break there, you indicated that you think this bull market in stocks, in other words, this rising trend of the stock market, uh, could run for another three to five years uh, because pension funds in America are buying corporate bonds in record amounts, giving companies cash to buy back their stock. Is that correct? Exactly. And there's a big difference between U.S. pension funds and Canadian pension funds. In the U.S., our pensions have been underfunded for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so now they're in catch-up mode. Most cities and states in the U.S. are raising taxes to try and narrow their funding gaps. So they need to make 7.5%, which is a crazy number. But while they're bringing in the money and shooting for that goal, the result is they buy record amounts of corporate bonds. That lands on corporate balance sheets and allows companies to buy back their stocks. In, so, term, in terms of the corporate debt market, sorry, sorry Doug, in terms of the corporate debt market, what kind of yields are they able to uh, purchase at, at today's levels? Because, again, the 10-year is trading barely 2%. The, the 30-year government's trading barely 3%. So in the corporate debt market, what type of yields are they able to find to, to achieve that 7.5% return? And you just hit on the problem. Junk bonds are yielding less than 5.5%, and our pensions need to make 7.5%. So to me, bonds are unattractive. I think stocks are going to be the asset class that benefits the most from this. And if people need yield, I would say either be in a money market fund or a very short-term bond fund because the corporate bond market looks very unattractive because of these excessive flows coming from our pensions. So you look at this, Brian, and you look at these pension funds that have this needs-based investing and they need Hmm. to generate a 7% return. 
in a low interest rate environment. Does that not create a, fra- a fragile system that can fail if we get the volatility that's unexpected, I guess, um, in the markets? It, creates a, it, it does create a system that's vulnerable to a big drawdown like we had in 2008. Right. But I don't think that happens for another three to five years. As long as the U.S. yield curve is positively sloped, in other words, long-term yields are higher than short-term yields, when the yield curve inverts and short-term yields are higher than long-term yields, that's when this whole process of financial engineering gets thrown into reverse. Because I was going to say, like, back in the day, back in the day, you'd have corporate bonds, government bonds yielding, you know, 7%. To to go out the risk curve, uh, just to generate that 7%, it just seems like a a risky uh, option for me, especially with the the guaranteed pensions that uh, these people uh, depend on. Well, it it, it really does inject a lot of risk into the system. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say that bonds are unattractive. Because if we're going to have problems down the road, they're likely going to be seen first in the corporate bond market. And that's a place I don't want to be. I'd rather be in cash than stocks. And when the curve inverts, then I can dial my risk down even more and focus more on cash. We're not close to that point yet. But at some point, probably three to five years down the road, I think that's going to happen. Brian, let, let, me, let me give you two scenarios. Let, let me give you a scenario of a working individual who's 50 someone like myself, I'm 52, uh, and then an individual who's retired, 65. In this environment, cash, bonds, and stock for a moderate risk individual, what weighting would you give uh, those two camps? I would have an overweight in stocks and cash and an underweight in bonds. And so what does overweight mean? What percentage? Well, let's say it's a normal weighting. Stocks, bonds would be 60-40. Mm-hmm. And maybe 10% cash, so maybe 5% out of both of those. And so let's say I'd have more stock than that, and I'd have much more cash than that. So your stock, would you take your stock from 60 to, so equities would go from 60 to what? Maybe 65. So 65 in equities. If if bonds were normally 40, I'd probably cut them down to 20. Down to 20, yeah. And take your your cash, then take your cash to 15. There, There you go, because bonds don't yield enough for the risks that yeah. they have. Well, that's a, that's a jack in our position right now. We are, we're, we're underweight uh, fixed income to the lowest th- level that, that our mandates, we have three different mandates, conservative balance and growth, and each mandate uh, allows us to put a certain percentage into fixed income. Growth, we have, we're allowed to go to zero, we are. Balance, we're allowed to go to 25% of the low end, we are. And conservative, uh, we are allowed to hold, we have to hold a minimum, I think, about to, what, to 50%, 50% yeah, so we're, we're about 60 there. Uh, Brian, interest of time, my good friend. Uh, it goes so quick. You're a smart guy. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, we're going to let Tony know you did a good job. We're going to pass this little air check on to Tony. He's going to critique it for you. And he's going to same me. conclusion. You've done a great job, my good friend. Thank you very, very kindly. Brian Reynolds, analyst with Canaccord from Boston, sort of just joined us. Coming up next, Brooke Thackray works for Horizon Beta Pro ETF provider. He's a analyst. Uh, and the seasonal trader, shall I say. I've known this guy for a long time. He's smart, and he certainly pays attention to the seasons right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. To everything, turn, turn. 
Ah, good morning, Toronto. The birds. Turn, turn, turn. And very apropos music for our next guest, Brooke Thackray. Uh, Brooke is a seasonal analyst. Uh, he works with Horizons. They provide ETFs. Uh, they've been around for, how long have they been around now, Brooke? Uh, about 15 years. 15 years. Um, they did the leveraged ETFs. They were actually very innovative back in the day, the two-fers and three-fers. They, they, they did three-fers too, didn't they? Uh, no, just doubles. No no triples? No. They, they let the, they let the, let the, the Americans. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyways, I've known Brooke for 16 years. And, and you know, in my early days as a rookie IA, as we called ourselves, uh, Brooke said, hey, well, if you got to pay attention to the market from a seasonal point of view, i.e. sell in May, go away. Buy when it snows, sell when it goes. He said there's validity to that stuff. And uh, hey, I published a book. Take a look at it. And by the way, it's twenty bucks. So he gave him the twenty bucks and went through his book. And I was actually quite impressed by it. And he even autographed it for me. So uh, Brooke continues to uh, trade the seasons, and uh, here we are in the month of August. And uh, you know, Jack and I were just uh, on a conference call. Our strategist Tony Dwyer said the markets could become a little volatile in the next couple of weeks. And I said, well, I don't like the month of August. Let's get Brooke on the air just to think, uh, just to see what he has to say about. About the month of August and how he's positioning Hack, which is the ETF that he manages, HAC on Toronto. Uh, how's that positioned right now for the month of August and coming into September? Uh, we're very conservative. I mean, as far as equities go, we're almost out of the, the market. We just have a residual amount of equities. Uh, so you're sitting in a, a, an overweight cash position? Overweight cash position. We do have some fixed income as well. Uh, how much? So what's your current cash weighting? Um, right now, while it's more important on the on the equity side, we have about three uh, percent in equities. Yeah, which is three percent yeah, in equities. Uh, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, so Jack asked a good Isn't question off air, and uh, again, uh, a, a typical mutual fund will turn over its portfolio about fifty percent, which means if a typical mutual fund and there's no typical mutual funds, but if a mutual fund has a hundred stocks in it. In an average year, it would replace 50 of those stocks with new ideas. So it's called a 50% turnover. I know it's early, folks, but we're talking turnover here. Uh, maybe it'll Pop-Tart strawberry turnover for breakfast this morning. But Brooks Hack, H-A-C, seasonal ETF, Jack asked, what's the turnover? And Brooks said? 900% last year. And, and Jack said, pardon? I said, Pardon. <laughs> <laughs> he said 900%. So Jack and I, our portfolio turns over about 115%. So we consider ourselves active managers. But this is an ETF, and ETFs for the most part are considered passive investments. 900% is not passive. This is active management you're providing for your fee. No, this is very active. I mean, ETFs can be very passive. That's what most people think of them as, a basket to, of something like an index. But this is an active ETF. And yeah, we are active. Um, that's that's the name of the game. You have to be active in this market. So, so, and, and, so I say, so coming out of the, the summer doldrums and uh, September is uh, typically a week, a month as well. Uh, what are you going to look to into the fall um, as the market continues or as the market firms up? So, you know, back in May or April, we were 100% in equities. We've moved into an extremely conservative position at this time. We've been in and out of the market a little bit here right. on different positions. We can talk about that. Um, but we do expect on a seasonal basis, mm -hmm. the market to the weakest two months of the year, contiguous months are August and September. Yep. So, you know, I can't say the market's going to go down. Well, we have no idea. Sure. It's very richly valued. So it's susceptible to decreasing. Yeah, but so what, what, what sectors do you like coming out of that then, I would say, like so going into the fall? In the fall, I mean, uh, right now there's you know there's a couple of sectors that we're we're in. For instance, we're in gold. Uh, we hold gold bullion in our in the ETF is is one of our sectors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll look for agriculture a little bit later on as well. Healthcare does well. 
um, some of the defensive sectors. But as we get into, let's say, October, that's when we start to go back more into the uh, cyclical higher beta sectors. So. Year to date, the, the your, your ETF is up how much? It's up about uh, 3%. Right Which now. is great because the TSE is down 1%, so you're beating the market by 4%. Uh, you're earning your pay, shall I say. Uh, Brooke, hang around. Well, we'd earn our pay around here. Uh, so we are just going to run a little commercial break. Correct, Rob? And come right back. Right up this. Money. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Yeah, welcome back, David Bowie. I miss David. He was such a great artist. And, you know, Bowie Bonds. Bowie was smart. David Bowie was brilliant because David Bowie needed some money at some point in his career. And he said, you know, I have this annuity coming in from all of my uh, hit albums that I have produced. I'm going to sell the royalty rights up front and do what's called a Bowie Bond. So they're going to do a present value analysis on my future sales. They're going to give me the money up front. Innovation. That's called financial engineering by a rock star. Anyways, golden years, sort of uh, bullion. Uh, Brooke Thackeray, analyst with Horizons. He manages a seasonal ETF called Hack, H-A-C. And you like gold. Yeah, absolutely. You know, gold can go up and down at any time of the year. But there's one time of the year where it tends to go up more than other times. Mm -hmm. And that's the seasonal trend, really, is what what it is. And so gold tends to go up uh, from the month of July into the end of September. So why does that happen? It, there's a, what happens is the production of gold throughout the year is pretty constant. That doesn't change. The, the mining companies have to keep digging and all that sort of stuff. But from a demand perspective, the greatest consumption for gold takes place in the fourth quarter, particularly in Asia with the with the wedding season. The, you know, the Diwali festival. Diwali, yeah, exactly. And and so and even here in, in in our society as well, that's when we give the most gold. So, you know, and, and what happens is they need the gold for jewelry. They don't keep it in gold bars. So the fabricators need to buy gold. So the fabricators buy the gold in the summer months, driving up the demand for gold on the margin. So this is when gold tends to do well compared to the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the time of year. I, I can't say it's going to happen again this year, but that's what seasonal investing is. It's all about probabilities. Yes, that is key. It's all about the probabilities. It truly, truly is because uh, sell and may go, to, go away works how many years out of 10? Uh, it's not the frequency that counts in the end. It's the fact that on average, since 1950, it, you've actually lost money in that period. Now, in, interestingly enough, from 1950 to 2015 for the S&P 500, sell in May, if you actually in, the, in that uh, period from May until October, was up 62% of the time. But you had some big, huge losses in that time period, and you had, on average, you lost money. So, so on, I was just say, on your strategy uh, for your ETF there, Brooke, do you have any other factors that you look at other than seasonality? Sure, absolutely. So seasonality is the first screen. That's what we look at first. We have right. to be seasonally justified to be able to say, hey, let's go into this. Like, we're not going to go into gold, let's say, in June or, or whatever. It has to be a seasonal element to that. Then we'll also take a look at the technicals as well. Perhaps we get in a little bit early. It's not like, oh, it has to be done on this date or we have to get in and out. So we can get in early, go out, uh, get in late. And if the trade's not working, we can't exit as well. Um, so you want to combine it with something else at the same time. And we'll also look at some of the fundamentals. 
fundamentals. Well, so what about right here? You have the T, you have di- divergence going on in the marketplace. What we mean by that is markets are not moving together. When I tell you markets, I mean in North America, the U.S. stock market, the S&P 500, is making all-time highs. The Dow Jones Industrial making all-time highs. The TSC has done nothing since 2008. It's at the same level it was, I repeat, in 2008. So uh, seasonally speaking, would your strategy work the same way in America as it does up here in Canada? Absolutely. In fact, we're agnostic whether it's America or Canada. The seasonality exists according to all the research. I'm not the only guy that's done this research over time. And, you know, the research says, look, it works across the developed world. So exactly the same seasonality between the Canadian market and the U.S. market. 100%. Is is there certain sectors that are more seasonally uh, predictable or more seasonally probable than others? Absolutely. Uh, You know, we find that with the stock market, uh, it tends to be more seasonality. For instance, biotech tends to do well from uh, June into September. Um, it's got a, high, a very high success rate as compared to some of the other trades. We do look at that, the frequencies, which are extremely important. Mm-hmm. So your portfolio has massive turnover. The average individual cannot or should not turn their portfolio over 900%. Just don't even consider doing such a thing. You, you obviously have tools and, 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 and trading costs that are more economical to perform such a feat. But right now you're heavily weighted in cash. When are you going to put the money back to work? So, I mean, you know, there's, there are some opportunities that we described earlier on uh, that we could go into in September or August, September as well, whether it's agriculture, healthcare, and consumer staples. But overall, what we're looking at is to make that big entry back into that market, the other side of that sell in May trade is we'll be looking at late September starting to step back into the market in early October. So if there's a big drawdown, that'll provide an opportunity for us. And what if there isn't? What if the market rallies? If the market rallies and keeps going up, I mean, when this happened in the past where, you know, there's probabilities again, we we say in October, well, we hold our nose and go back into the market because this is, we're, we'll move into that time period where from October into May, the market tends to do well and doesn't have big drawdowns as much as the other six months. So I'm not a bear or a bull. This is not what this is about. I understand, yeah. Yeah, this is, so we would enter back into the market in a, in a big way, even if the market moves up higher from here. Yeah, um, in terms of publishing, have you published any books lately? I'm doing one every year, and you're reminding me i got to finish off the 2018, so the Thackeray's 2018 guide. This will be my 12th book that I've Chuck, written. Chuck, did he send you 17? I never got 17. <laughs> I'll make sure you get one. Would you please have one with you? you? <laughs> Along with the 20 bucks, you got to send them off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, you, did he pay me last time? Oh, that is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Brooke? Get out of here. We got Rachel in the studio, my good friend, Iris Blue. I can't wait to speak to this um, uh, millennial entrepreneur uh, woman. Uh, Very, very dynamic. So, Brooke, we're good buddies, but Rachel is going to take over from here on in. Let's pay some bills, and we're going to come right back at you, folks, with some very interesting entrepreneurial stuff right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Welcome back, my friends. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Iris Blue, co-founder, Rachel Bowman, is in the house with us this morning. Now, she was supposed to bring in her partner, Anissa Holmes, but Anissa couldn't make it, and Jack and I are looking forward to meeting Anissa as well. But <laughs> welcome to the show. I, uh, you asked me you know, why we contact you, how we got a hold of you, and uh, uh, part of Hi-Fi Radio, we like to support millennials. We also like to support women in business. And you know, on Bay Street, where we come from, Jack and I, not 
come from. That comes from Nobleton. Um, but <laughs> where, where we work on Bay Street, it, it is a male-dominant industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are no female strategists, analysts, or advisors. I think less than 10% mm-hmm. of advisors are women. Um, a lot of lawyers and more accountants but uh, Bay Street could certainly use more women. It really, really could. Yeah, a big and opportunity it, for them. A huge opportunity for, for sure. them, and, and, and we're here to share opportunities. But um, in terms of business, you know, women hold 38.4% of all management positions and 37.1% of all senior management positions. Uh, yet in Canada, the top 100 paid CEOs, top 100 paid CEOs, how many are women? Quick question, the answer is two. Yeah. Two. So this is this isn't good, Rachel. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, you have this very interesting company. Please tell us about Iris Blue and what your business does. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, so Iris Blue is a marketing and events agency. We're national, but we're based in Toronto. Um, so we have two divisions under um, the Iris Blue umbrella. One called Immersive X. It's the marketing uh, side and marketing and event side. And then we actually have a national event staffing uh, division as well to support all of our um, marketing initiatives and events. I saw so, your staffing business. So yeah. uh, tell us more about that business, what, the, what, what that specializes in. Yeah, so we specialize in, um, so we have one of the largest rosters of qualified staff across Canada um, that range from expertise in events of all kinds. So bartenders, um, brand ambassadors, servers, you name it. Um, So really we utilize that to execute all of our marketing um, activations and events. Um, We really focus on um, experiential marketing is a big uh, portion of our business. What type of marketing? Experiential marketing. Experiential marketing. Yep. Yes. yes, Millennials and experiences, right? All about the experiences. All about the experiences, 100%. And and obviously with the technology world as it is right now, um, it's even more important to create those um, personal one-on-one experiences for brands. Um, So what kind of experiences do you uh, present, I guess, to your your clients? Yeah. So we um, took ranges from festivals, trade shows, in-store marketing activations, um, launches, product launches. We actually just did the Wayne Gretzky Distillery and Winery launch event, um, so where we created a whole experiential event around that launch. Wayne was there himself. It was fantastic. Um, Yeah, you guys have to check it out. It's a beautiful facility, uh, new in uh, Niagara-on-the-Lake. So we recently just did that one. Um, But yeah, we really just kind of curate those experiences around the brand. So ImmersiveX is um, our marketing side, and that really comes from building those immersive experiences. Um, So everybody you can touch, taste, feel, experience the brand, um, and that will be memorable um, for the consumer, um, obviously, to relate to that brand as well. Interesting. Really focus. Yeah. And so I noticed you're, you're involved in sampling campaigns, which, which, is, which is not really anything new, but it still is very, very important. But again, the, the, the staffing notion is, is, is interesting. Yeah. Because again, if you you're, you want to unroll you, you want to roll out national campaigns, yep. uh, you're not going to move your staff across the country. Nope. No, you're, you're better <laughs> off to find local staff. Correct. And so yeah. that's 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 part of the solution that Absolutely. you provide to your clients. Absolutely, yeah. I would say a lot of our clients, um, you know, they go to agencies, you know, such as ours, mm-hmm. to come up with the ideas, the strategy around um, that marketing campaign. However, if you can't execute it and you don't have the proper staff to really relay those key brand messages to the consumer, um, then you don't have a campaign. You don't get those results, right? So we're really results driven in that sense, which is why we built a staffing division under Iris Blue so we can execute that properly because that's really important for us and our clients to make sure we get those results. If you have you know, staff that don't know what they're talking about or they're representing your brand in a way 
that's not conducive to the brand, then you're not going to get those results of, you know, those, those real consumer experiences and those takeaways for that consumer. Now, now Rachel, we know you're a lady. We can hear that in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're 29 years old. I am. So you're also a millennial. I am. Uh, so we're here to help your cohorts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're giving them a good name. You, 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 you make them look good. Thank you. Um, but you, you started this business when? Early 20s, right out of university. And you went to Ryerson? I went to mm-hmm. Ryerson, yeah. I like Ryersonians. Yeah. I'm one. Okay. <laughs> My wife is a Ryersonian. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they produce good people. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think one of our guests was actually a Harvard grad. Our first guest actually was a Harvard grad. We never promoted that, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, Harvard, Harvard. I'm going to Ryerson. Um, <laughs> but let me ask another question here because we're speaking about um, men on Bay Street and, and the lack of women on Bay Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jack and I had Paradigm, uh, a public relations firm, in. They're, they're, they're located in Toronto and a very, very good friend of mine, mm-hmm. Tracy Bachner, is the president of that firm. Uh, and I think I asked her on air, uh, how many of your staff are men? I think the answer was zero. Wow. Uh, so, wow. So, so, so the world of PR is funny because that is a female-dominated yes. industry. Uh, I used to do a lot of work with ad agencies. And yeah. there used to a little more mechs in the agencies. Yeah. Uh, but again, very youthful. Uh, very, very youthful culture, fun culture. But I know you also work them hard, don't you? Definitely. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because you're right. You're absolutely right. PR, definitely female-driven. Um, and, and also female-owned, I would say. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are. And male-owned, of course. Marketing agencies, um, ad agencies, very... Uh, so male-owned, yep. female-driven, uh-huh. right? Um, I would say we are actually... And this got brought up by a client uh, recently. Uh, we walked in, hadn't met the client yet, uh, walked into the meeting, and, whoa, you're, she didn't even know that we were the owners, right? So she was kind of shocked good for you yeah and we were like okay this you. is this is awesome and she was like this is amazing i've never seen um a marketing agency owned by two dynamic women so that was really kind of a cool experience right to hear that before um i've never heard that before so i think we're one of the one of the only marketing agencies that really is owned by women now you you have yeah. you have 10 employees we do yeah 10 employees and i, I asked you off air do you mind if i asked you on air in terms of how much business you do um, yeah, so we are in the, um, we're at the around 2 million range. Um, that's excellent. From there, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's outstanding. Thank you so you much. You're very, very happy and proud of yourself. For that. that's, that's, that. a big, no, that's a big number. Yeah, and, and, only and six years too. Six so. years and 2 million in revenue. Yeah. So you are profitable. Definitely. Which, which obviously matters a whole lot. That means you can pay your staff and continue Correct. working. Uh, yeah. Hey, pe- pe- don't kid yourself. People at Sears aren't, aren't feeling as comfortable these days. <laughs> Um, so, you know, pr- pr- be providing employment to, to 10 people is, is, is a good thing. Um, Loblaws is a client of yours. Yep. Th- th- that's a nice brand to have. So, look, I want you to hang around. We're going to keep you in the studio. That means you've done a good job. You get to hang out with us for one more <laughs> hit. It also means you're, you're the headline act because you're the last hit. All right. So, yeah. we, we, Jack and I are very, very impressed with you, Rachel. So, just hang around for a bit, okay? Thank you. Yes. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Well, thank you for sticking around. Hi-Fi Radio AM640. 
In the studio, we have the co-founder of Iris Blue, Rachel Bowman. Now, Rachel's getting married in a couple of weeks, and uh, you, you share with us off air. So you 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 are now Rachel Bowman, but in two weeks, you're going to change your name. Correct. To so why not? <laughs> why not? Why? No, what's your last name going to be? Why not? <laughs> Rachel. Why not? Okay, that will it. be my name. Rachel. Yep. Why, why not? not? Right. Might as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a name a salesperson should have. I know. Like, well, why not? Just, just buy it. No, I don't want it. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> no, that's my name. Yeah, my fiance says I better get used to the jokes. So, yeah, I love it, though. Okay, well, good for you. Good for you. Uh, well, so far, so good. You're doing a very, very good job here, Rachel. Um, so where do we leave off here? We're talking about Loblaws. Uh, that is a tough account yeah. to land. Mm-hmm. Without question. Uh, I, I, I used to work, actually, at National Grocers when I was a student, mm-hmm. uh, young in St. Clair. Uh, and I used to see the vendors sit in the lobby, begging and pleading to have an appointment with a purchasing agent yeah. who would perhaps give them a little bit better shelf life or shelf space than, for example, Nestle's. It is a grind. Yes, it's competitive. Uh, sure. Highly competitive. Um, but 29 years old. Rachel and I guess Anissa walk into Galen's office and uh, <laughs> close the deal. It wasn't just like that. Your last name wasn't even why not then. Yeah, exactly. So um, our client, so obviously Loblaws is a big umbrella for multiple different brands. Um, so we actually started working out with Joe Fresh first. Um, so we did a couple campaigns with them. Um, what did you do for them? So we did a summer, uh, a summer launch campaign for their new uh, line, essentially. Um, both in Toronto and Vancouver, kind of some small things here and there. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. So, so what, what type of small things do you do for Joe Fresh? Um, so we did a guerrilla marketing campaign where we would um, give uh, certain, we created flyers um, for their new line. We had our brand ambassadors go out all over Toronto and Vancouver promoting that new line, um, giving out flyers. We actually did a kind of a more experiential thing with, um, we went to like um we gave popcorn away, branded, like just more engaging with consumers at different festivals and events. Um, it was highly successful. We did a great job. Um, and then I believe, obviously, referral-based. A lot of our business is referral-based, I will say, which is amazing. I'm not, like, I definitely, sure. any referral that comes in, 100% is the, the best. Um, so Joe Fresh, I think, naturally referred us to Loblaw Digital, actually. Um, so they are... Um, have you heard of Click and Collect? No. Online shopping. All Loblaws, Real Canadian Superstore, and Zares. We, are, we launched Click and Collect in Canada, over 100 stores. We created an in-store marketing campaign, um, basically around brand awareness and education of what Click and Collect is to consumers. Um, and then we rolled that out in over 100 stores across Canada. Results were awesome, super high. Um, so now we've had Loblaw Digital for two full years now. Um, and that was two years ago where we just literally launched Click and Collect. We were the agency that launched um, that service of, of Loblaws. So that's kind of our claim to fame with Loblaws. I'm really proud of it. Really so, proud so of our t- so team. So you're talking digital now. And again, yep. sampling is old school boots boots on the ground. Yep. Uh, get the product in the consumer's hand. Let them sample it. Hopefully they like it. The Pepsi Challenge. Yep. I'm dating my, The Pepsi Challenge, young lady occurred before you were a twinkle in your mummy's eye. Um, <laughs> yes. But it was real. And, and Pepsi was challenged. It was challenging Coke. Correct. Uh, and, and, and they were taking market share away from Coke. And then of course, Coke did a funny thing. They changed their recipe to new Coke and they really blundered. And then they had to come back. And you know, this, this is now in the textbooks this stuff, boys and girls. Yeah. <sighs> I feel like the old guy here. <laughs> Anyways, um, so, so we're talking old school sampling. 
versus digital. Click and click is it? Click, click and, and collect. Yeah. So it's online shopping. So this is what Loblaws has created: online service. Um, so you go online, you pick your store, you um, pick your groceries online, and then you—it's basically like um, so you, you drive into your to the store. You have a two-hour time slot to pick up your groceries. It's like a VIP service. You drive right in to your front parking spot. Um, you call the line. And a service representative will come out and put your groceries in your car for you. So right? Jack, Jack's going through his mind. I know what's going through Jack's mind is Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Jack and I are spending yeah. a lot of time paying attention to Amazon. Amazon, uh, they clacked Lobas and Costco and Home Depot and, and um, uh, Sobeys and Empire and go down the list. I was say AutoZone. They actually did it to themselves this week just with the expectations I think that they set. But, yeah, but regardless, yeah. uh, they, they purchased Whole Foods. So uh, my sense is that I won't be picking up groceries at Lobas. If I'm going to click, I want to click at home. I don't want to have to go and pick it up. Yeah, I was going to say it's called Prime. It's called for <laughs> you millennial. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah, like we we were we were hired to essentially um, build the brand awareness piece around it in store. Um, you know, educate the current customers that there is an, an additional service they can, of course, you know, come into the store and purchase their groceries. People love the grocery experience that Loblaws provides, obviously. Um, but there is another alternative as well for that busy mom, for instance. Sure. You know, that doesn't have the time. It's really a time saver, um, and it's efficient. So we were in charge of educating in-store customers about this new service and it's been a success a very very great say, do, you have, do you have numbers on the growth for it just in the last uh, well um, since you've launched i guess can't disclose those at the oh, okay moment. that's yeah. fine yeah. Wait, that's Rachel, fine. I, again i want you to help the audience i don't want you to give back a little bit here i know you're a giver i just can just tell um <laughs> no i'm serious uh so uh, how do you go about being a successful entrepreneur uh at the age of 29 what advice can you give to the audience and any 20 something mm-hmm. who's now just about to leave school and they're saying gee should i go work for big blue uh should i maybe work at Loblaws, or should i do it myself give them some advice right yeah i've actually been asked these questions a lot and i did a recent speaking event for women um that do want to start their own businesses and they don't know how or they just need the motivation right i think it's i mean if you have that in you and you want to start something of your own it is it is simple. It is easy to get that up and running, you know, and don't be nervous. And, you know, there's a lot of support out there that even women, young girls, men, young boys as well, don't really know about. There's a lot of support Such out as- there. Online, there's mentors, you know, even if your own circles, you know, there's your family, you know, I'm sure that in everybody's family, in my family, I had certain mentors that said, you know what, if you want to do it, then do it. Um, and you sometimes you just need that motivation. It's not even, you know what to do. Like you can just get a business license online quite easily. You can start a website quite easily nowadays with all the services out there, um, like Squarespace, for instance. Um, and at the end of the day, though, it's really about like the motivation to do it. You need that extra oomph, right? Especially for young girls, I would say, because, you know, maybe they don't, they're nervous. They don't think they can do it on their own. Um, but I would say reach out, get that support. Um, I'm certainly working as a mentor to, uh, young women entrepreneurs as well. Um, and providing that, that support to people that I know. Um, and I, I love doing it. People love giving support and mentorship and you just have to ask at some, sometimes people don't want to ask, but ask for help. That is my number one thing. hundred percent ask for help, ask for advice 
is what I would say to those people that want to do it. Well, look, Rachel, uh, I'm very, very impressed with everything I've heard so far. Look, what you do is very relevant. In Canada, there's there in Canada, there's 950,000 self-employed women uh, representing 35% of the total self-employed workforce. So you're certainly on trend. I wish you great success with Iris Blue. Boys and girls, if you need something sampled, you want a brand, you want to market, you want to do it old school or do it the new way, I think Rachel can help you out. Yes. I wish you all a great weekend. Listen to Hi-Fi Radio on AM640. All the best. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.